This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about what not to do when creating a name for your business, brand, or product through the lens of mistakes we have and continue to see out there. Naming is a topic that, when raised, it comes with a lot of stress and anxiety. And I always like to say that the two biggest stressors are deciding on your name and deciding on the logo when you go to introduce a business brand or product out into the world because this is when stuff gets real. (laughs) You're doing it. You're really doing it. And now it's time to put your baby out into the market on the shelf on sale. So what are you going to call it? Yep. And it never really gets easier, even when you are the a PNG or even as you scale. And so it's really good to set that framework and foundation early because then you're going to have a, a company of names, several families of products and tons and tons of sub-brands and SKUs. So it's still not an easy task at that point. So it's good that you're getting this knowledge early. Yes. So for all of those reasons, we're going to jump into four common mistakes people make when naming. Number one, Don't let personal bias get in the way. And I will take this one. This is not about what you want. It's about what your customer or client wants. And also, quite honestly, how they're going to take what you're offering based on what you name it. We mentioned it being your baby in the beginning. And Mm -hmm. this applies to everything from an entrepreneur launching their first brand to your 127th product brand extension in a major corporation like we talked about with B&G. But the lens, no matter what, should always, always be from the perspective of your client or customer and their needs and expectations. And really, if you think about it as how your name will help them navigate the brand product or business when it's introduced to them, the more intuitive you can make it for them, the better. And we're not saying, though, here that it has to have a literal connection. Mm -hmm. We're also not saying that the name has to do all the heavy lifting because it is part of the toolkit, like we mentioned the logo before. But what we are saying is that personal bias can really get in the way, especially if you've been working on it for a real long time. And so you just have to think about it from that opposite angle, which may not feel intuitive. So some examples of how to do this are names that we feel like are effective. So number one, maybe it tells a story. So like Nike, Nike is the name for the goddess of victory. Of course, this makes sense for a sporting apparel store. Even when it was first starting out as gym shoes, the speed, all of that, it made total sense. Second example, maybe it creates a connection. So the Roomba, we couldn't find, you know, necessarily a story around the Roomba. But to me, it's a natural connection because it indicates the sound of the vacuum that it makes when it's like, you know, in, in your head when you're... Um, vacuuming the floor from a traditional standpoint. And then also it it reminds me of dancing for whatever reason, which I sort (laughs) of feel like, yeah, the rumba. I sort of feel like the product does when it like knocks off the walls and all of that kind of stuff. So like to me, the name just was automatically made a connection with me, whether that's correct or not. I don't know. I wasn't able to back it up with facts, but there you go. 
We're the experts here, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> or maybe it's the specifics of the product. So like Smart Water was one of the first ones to come out with electrolytes added to the water and enhancing water in that way without just doing a flavor. And so you were smart if you drank the water. Therefore, smart water. And then finally, the fourth one we have here is aspirations of scale. So Amazon is named after the largest river in the world. We didn't necessarily know that a company that was selling books was going to turn into mm -hmm. what it is today. But I imagine there was some vision there. And therefore, when you look at it now and where it's been and where it's gotten to, the name Amazon, the largest river in the world, certainly makes sense. So all of this to say, well, I'll first give you some tips on how to think about naming and, and the different variations that exist. I think sometimes people get a little bit too um, tunnel vision about it and they let their personal bias get in the way that way. So maybe this opened up your thought process, but also just a reminder, you're closer to your business than everyone else. So make sure that you're thinking about your consumer, your end client, whatever the case might be. And then also please do look to outside resources that do this for a living. I'm not just mm -hmm. saying that because we do. We do if you need us. But it can be really hard to separate the daily grind and all the in-depth knowledge you have building this business product or brand. And so you might need somebody else with an outside perspective. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really that's really good advice. But I also think it's very interesting for the examples that you chose um, that they also all tap into some sort of feeling. Yeah, right. Yeah. They want yeah, you really to feel point. something, you, yeah. know, if, you know, for Nike, it's like they, they want you to feel like very aspirational, very much like that, you know, the the goddess of, of victory. I mean, it, it definitely connotes a specific type of aura, you know, around yep. the brand. So it, it's also a way to elevate your branding. We talk about that a lot, about how your branding and, and how you communicate creates an emotional connection to your consumer that then creates that brand love. Naming is part of that. It's a critical part of that, and it should not be arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a very, very good point. I mean, obviously, anytime you can hit an emotion, especially when you're creating something new, it's huge. And so, obviously, yep. we'd be remiss not to say that they did it with intention. Yep. All right, number two, don't get too cute or creative. And I'm going to take this one because this one really hits home for me. Lots of PTSD <laughs> around this one. All right. So remember when we said that people get overwhelmed by the process and really it comes from a place of that desire to get it just right. And when we want to get things just right, what do we do? We overthink it. So instead of doing what we discussed in the previous point, people try to do, well, a few different things that just really don't work well. And it ties back to this idea of getting too cute or too creative. <laughs> Number one, creating a brand new word. Now, I will caveat this by saying that I have a real hard time with this. I do not like names just created <laughs> out of thin air. I do not like when people try to get, you know, cute with putting words together, creating a word that means this word and takes part of this word and feels brand new and all of those kinds of things. Again, I think it overcomplicates and I think it makes it harder from the very beginning then to connect with your customer or your client because it's not a word that they know. Right. And so right away, you're starting at a deficit. The second thing is being really clever by creating a name that only you understand because you have the legacy of the brand or the business or the product. If it doesn't make sense, again, to your consumer, it could be the most creative name in the world, but it's going to be another disconnect. And I'll take a jab at my P&G friends here because one of the things that was always so crazy to me was 
in an attempt to be covert, they would name their projects just totally random things based on the interest of the team members. And I have a hard enough time remembering names. So then when the name didn't mean anything based on the brand we were working on, I could never remember. And I mean, I would be a terrible spy, I guess, because I could not be at all covert with those names. So all that to say, just make sure that you're choosing something that isn't only meaningful to you as the owner. That used to be an incentive for the brand managers. They got to choose the names. I mean, okay. So it means something to them. So much fun over there. Point taken. (laughs) All right. Another popular way to be clever is to name something a word that means something in a different language that nobody will know. And Anne loves this one. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. When people name stuff, they're like, well, that means intelligent in Italian. I'm like... Okay, well, nobody in the United States is going to get that. Also, your company has nothing to do with Italy. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) I I don't get it. Or my favorite is the Latin. When they they start going to the Latin, I'm like, nobody can even say that. I'm like, what's the point? Yeah, so, yeah, it takes too much explanation. So, therefore, it's lost. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then there's making people embarrassed to say it. So, I know Anne loves the example of dude wipes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which, I mean, honestly, checks a lot of the boxes. But when you consider the fact that the woman is still the primary shopper, yeah. you know, um, April, you know, you really need to go buy your husband dude wipes. I mean, like, <laughs> this is not going to come up in conversation. It just doesn't. So, yes, very clever of a name. It definitely connotes a very strong brand identity. But think about, like, how it's going to get from the store shelf to, like, somebody's home and think about that journey because sometimes things kind of show up that you wouldn't anticipate. Yeah. Well, and that's a confusion point of the consumer versus the end user, right? Yeah. Because the person buying it is not the person using it in the home. Yeah, anyway. exactly. Um, all right, a couple more here. If you plan to go global, check what the name means in other languages. Pissed in England means something different in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, be really careful about oversimplifying in your aspirations to be just like one of the big guys. They started somewhere, too. It wasn't with the fame they have today. So right. don't just piggyback on or think that, well, you know, I mean, Nike, of course we can come up with the next Nike. I mean, the first of all, the name itself isn't going to do that all on its own. And second of all, if you're really aspiring to that, you may as well just cancel your launch because you can't go from where you are today to, you know, 100 years in the future. Yeah, right. All right. And so for us personal here, I said we're the experts in the beginning. So at Forthright People, we'll tell you the things that we're really big fans of and some of the brands. And, you know, I said that I personally cannot stand words that were created out of nothing or fake words or made up words or whatever. I feel like gyms have been doing this lately. There's a sporta now. And I'm like, what is that? Or esporta. I'm like, or I don't e-sporta. even know what e-sporta Yeah, well, there you is. go. I don't even know how to pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, simple. Words that are easy to say and understand. So we're doing some work in this category currently, so it's in my head. But things like ring, the smart doorbell. Ring, doorbell. Makes total intuitive Mm -hmm. sense. It's really easy. Nest is another one in the smart home space. It's a home thermostat. So you are taking care of your nest or your home. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like the connection is there. And I think the thing you can see here is the power of those names to really connote what the brand stands for, even outside of any sort of visuals. When a name can stand. Yeah, the exact. When you're nesting is a feeling. You're nesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then... (laughs) 
just, you know, I mean, there can be duplicate names out there. So in a different space, Nest comes up again. But we have The Knot for when you're getting married, a website that helps you manage the whole process of that. Then you have The Nest for when you're, you know, moving into a new space and you're figuring out all the things you need for a new home. And then you have The Bump for when you're pregnant. And all of these sites work together to tackle different life stages. But again, it's intuitive sense. And like Anne said, you get the feeling, right, when you tie the knot. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they make perfect sense for why those would be the names and why they do such a nice job on behalf of those brands. And side note, they don't all have to be four-letter words, these were, <laughs> as an example. Um, they don't have to be that, but you get the point we're trying to make here. Yeah, and I think another point just to make here too, it doesn't mean it has to be boring. I mean, right. it, it, the, part of the creative practice is finding something that meets all this criteria mm-hmm. that still feels relevant and fresh and you know in in aspiring or inspiring or whatever it needs to feel to your target consumer so that is the work mm-hmm. and that's why it's so important as you said at the very beginning to make sure this is something that resonates with them yes that isn't just about like what you want it to be because it's your baby yeah nope totally true mm-hmm. all right number three don't forget your friend the internet your name must be easily searchable and Yes. So, and and that goes back to what you were just saying about how some people get so clever or try to like really like make these names so like complex or hard to say or hard to spell or hard to recall that when people actually go to try to find you, because they are, the first thing they're going to do is going to try to Google Mm -hmm. you to see if you're legit. I mean, that's just the practice of, of the world now. If they can't figure out how to spell it right, or if they can't figure out exactly what it was in the in the context of how they heard, like, or they don't remember what Latin word it was, yep. like, I mean, I'm sure esporta is probably Latin for like a workout, really good. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but like, I mean, so if they can't figure that out, they're going to start then searching generic terms. Yes, right. So if it was like esport, they're going to like local gyms, right? I can tell you, yes, I can tell you when local gyms comes out, the first five things are going to be ads Mm -hmm. of local gyms who have paid for SEO or SEM in order to own those search terms and have their name appear first. Yep. Right? So it's fine if you're going to go that way, but you just have to realize that you're going to have to work a lot harder, which means more money. It means more content. It means like being very intentional with how you're constructing your presence so that you can lead when those search terms come up. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be buried all the way down at the bottom and nobody is going to be able to find you. Absolutely. This is a case also when you have generic names. So uh, this is very popular for businesses. Um, Revitalize. (laughs) Or like they just like pick like these names of like, and we we get it. Yes, those are feelings. They want people to feel. They want to get people feeling. Or I mean, whatever it is, you know, um, Elevate. It's like another one of my favorite, like that's used in a gazillion different contexts. Great. That's how you want people to feel. I love the inspiration behind it. The problem is, is that that word means like something else, right? <laughs> so when the first thing you do when you Google it is the definition of the word and all of the like context for how the word is used, you're already putting yourself on the second or third page of that SEO, unless you're going to pay, again, a lot of money to own these search terms, which because these search terms are so broad, mm-hmm. costs a lot of money. So you need to think about how you want to structure your name in order to be able to be 
to meet all that criteria that we said, but still be able to be something that is easily findable in search engine optimization and search engine marketing so that people can't find you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, point made on that one. And I know this is one that you get really fired up about. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll just leave that there. I have nothing to add, which rarely happens. Wow. Take note. All right. All right. Number four, which I'm also going to give to Anne. Don't make naming overly complicated, especially when it comes to spellability, which does go to our previous point, but it is worth making the point on its own. Yeah. And this is, again, why we have the bias of the actual name versus making up a word. Uh, but even if you cannot do that, you have to think about whether the the name is, one, easy to read and say, like we said, easy to remember, and easy to spell on recall. Those are three really, really critical criteria for your name. And it overlaps a little bit with getting cute and creative, but sometimes people will land on a name they love but is not available because it's also very important that you have some own ability for the name. That, again, goes to the point of being too generic or it goes to the point of why people try to be overly clever because what people will do then is like, oh, Elevate doesn't isn't there anymore, so I'm going to make it E-L-E-V the number eight, right? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yay, I get a pass, like I can get my website and I can maybe get a trademark and all those sorts of things. But then it's like, okay, how do you tell somebody what that is? It's like, oh, you're really going to love Elevate, E-L-E-V number eight. Like mm-hmm. it's just it's just too much. It, it just, it, it takes too much time and too much energy to be able to translate that. And if they get it right, it will be another big question mark. So we had this discussion with forthright people, frankly. So originally, we were just going to call it forthright. Yep. It met all the criteria, right? Except for when we got to the fact, it's like, ooh, can we own it? Yep. Right? And when people search it, are going to be able to find it? And when we actually went to go try to get the URL, um, it wasn't available, right? So again, our t- you know, your tendency is like, well, what can we put with it? What doesn't, you know, can we just change, you know, forthright and, and make it like, you know, hyphenated and all those sorts of things? Well, really, when it came down to the practice of it, we're like, well, we need something that actually represents the brand and, and represents the brand in the context for what we want to, how we want to serve people. And that's where it clicked. It's like, oh, people. Mm-hmm. Yes, forthright people. We, in general, are forthright people, and we want to work with clients who are also forthright people. That was the the, the differentiating factor of what our, our business brings based on all of the baggage we bought from our previous lives of when we do corporate agency relationships and people aren't very forthright, Mm -hmm. right? So that became actually a very big element of branding for us, which then we were able to own. So we actually did have to hyphenate it for the URL, but I mean, fine. Everything now is hyphenated for us. Marketing smarts is hyphenated in our (laughs) URL and everything like that. But um, it makes it distinguishable. It makes it ownable. It makes it searchable. So, and it makes it easy for people to say, for people to recall, because they get it because it's the way that we operate our business. Yeah. And I think that it's become a real conversation piece quite naturally where people are like, tell me about that. Right. And it's interesting to get the reactions because people that know Ann and me either individually or together outside of business are like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but then when people get to know us, we get the same reaction of like, oh, I can see that. And then they fill in the blanks quite nicely of the advice you give or when you tell me not to do something or, you know, and even instances that might have been contentious in the moment where we're like, I really think you shouldn't spend your money there. And, you know, maybe they opt to and then mm-hmm. it becomes, oh, yeah, we really shouldn't have spent our money there. But on both sides, people seem to feel like it makes sense. So again, that's a good instance, I think, of gut check, but also bringing the outside world in because those people, like some of those people that know us well, I mean, some of them are now our clients too. Right. And so they knew what to expect or after working with us, you see why the name is what it is. So yeah. proof points. Like it. All right. So just to recap, four common mistakes people make when naming your business, brand, or product. Number one. Don't let personal bias get in the way. Think about your consumer or your client first and their needs, not what you want to call it. Number two, don't get too cute or creative. Again, this is an opportunity to provide clarity and connection to your brand. Don't overcomplicate it. Number three, don't forget the internet. Your name must be easily searchable in the world we are in today. Unfortunately, this is super important because the first thing people are going to do is Google you. And number four, don't make naming overly complicated, especially when it comes to spellability. To the previous point, you want people to be able to remember how to spell your name and go find it. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right. And our next segment is in the trenches where we give real world examples that may be specific to industries or situations, but with broad application for anyone to digest and put them into action. Number one, how do I assess whether a name is quote unquote good or not? And Mm -hmm. I will take this one. Because I love success criteria. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So outside of what we said above, which hopefully sets the stage for how to think about naming, what a good name is, our personal feelings on what makes a good name, the other thing to do is to have success criteria because this is what will allow you and your stakeholders to evaluate the names objectively and, again, pull yourselves out of your personal feelings about it. So we have always been a fan of kind of a scale. So, for example, one to five. Side note, always make it an odd number. (laughs) Um, But a scale of one to five. And the criteria should include things that will allow you to, again, objectively assess if this is a good name. So the first one is memorability. How easy is it to recall the name once you hear it? One of the exercises we would often do is not put this criteria in front of people and then ask them out of a, you know, deck of five to eight names, which ones came to mind first that you could remember, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uniqueness. Does it stand out from others in the space? So, you know, if you have a list of your competition or even others in the category to the point we were making about, you know, things like the nest 
crossing category is fine, but if that was the name of something, some other business in your category, but not a direct competitor, that might become problematic. So Mm -hmm. how unique is it? How much does it stand out from others in the space? How ownable is it? So Anne gave these really good examples like Elevate. (laughs) Those in theory might sound like good names because maybe no one else has it in your space, but does it really mean what you intended to and does it encapsulate what you want people to remember about your business brand or product? And finally, clarity. So how well does it deliver? How well does it connect with what you offer? And Anne has mentioned a few times the emotional aspects of things and being able to get to that level. Does the consumer intuitively understand when they hear the name? Is it clear what you do? I don't have anything to add. (laughs) Wow. Twice in one episode, I look up to Anne and there's nothing. Yeah, it's good success criteria. (laughs) I mean, I I I think those are the success criteria. All right. Point made. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm on a roll now. All right. In naming a business, what's your perspective on using the names of the owners versus not? Okay. So this is a big one and it comes up often. I will have perspective on this one. I know you will have perspective on this one. So, okay. I, I got my one for the year. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to using names, and I feel like this comes up most often when we're talking about naming businesses, right? Because if you are the creator, the natural tendency is to consider using your name to be able to tie that legacy to the product, brand, or business. In this case, like we said, typically business. So what we would ask you is, number one, does the name have a legacy in the space you are entering? So, Mm. you know, was a relative of yours a founder in the space? Or um, is it a well-known last name in the area, for example, where it's going to draw a connection just because of what your last name is, right? Is it truly unique to that? Um, Like for me, for example, Martini is one that people remember outside of the west side of Cincinnati, when you're over there, it may as well be Smith. So you probably wouldn't want to use that. (laughs) Um, Is it the intent of the founder to make a very close family tie to the legacy of the brand? And then with that, do you have people that are interested in being part of that legacy of the brand? So in other words, if the intention is for generations to take over for generations to come, then it may make sense to use the last name. But our rule of thumb is really to think about how closely you as the founder or group of founders want to be tied to the business, its success, and its legacy. And if you're going to be the face, that likely makes sense. But think about then again what that means for your role in the organization and how closely tied you need to be. Because on the other side, it can be pretty limiting when you mm-hmm. think about the the business moving forward beyond just the family members, the founders, or the people that are that closely tied to the name and what what that means. On the other side, if the founder does not want to be the face, then truly the last name should not be tied to the company. It's much better because of the points made above to tie the name to what the business offers, especially if there is no natural connection between the last name and what you're putting out there. People just aren't going to automatically remember your last name as being tied with what you are offering. And then the last thing I will say is please beware of using multiple names together. I feel like there's lots of law offices that 
that are mm-hmm. <laughs> are really culprits of this, right? Connor, Achani, and Levy, I feel like is one that I hear all the time. And I'm like, what a mouthful. Um, but it can get really, really complicated. So I worked for an agency that used the last name of the f- three founders and it worked really well. It was called Laga. So Lipson, Alport, Glass, and Associates. And it made a really nice logo and Laga was unique to the space and it made all the sense in the world, right? Until we were going to merge with DeGripco Bay, which was two other last names. And so then the discussion became, do we become Laga DG? Do we extend to all these names as part of it? Um, So the situation can get really dicey because all of those founders were still very much associated with the brands. And so... That's something where you might just want to think about what the future is going to look like for the brand. And, you know, back to the law example, if it's just you starting out, well, what if you hire another partner or two partners or four partners? What is going to be the long term effect of choosing a last name? Yeah, all really, really good points. And the one additional one I'll make here is that, you know, it, it can work to use your name and still build a legacy around it that isn't related to you if you focus that legacy or that your culture and all of that on your brand character. Yeah. So, right. So you have to develop the brand character that is actually connotated by the name, um, which is elements of your personal brand that you want to pull in, like we've talked about before, or it's what you want the business or how you want the business to show up or the vision you're trying to achieve or whatever that looks like. So it is possible, and we're gonna, I'm going to actually use some examples later in one of the In the Trenches questions, to be able to make that name create a legacy outside of you as the founder, but you have to be very intentional in doing that. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point, right? And yeah, I mean, we would be remiss not to say that it it is fine if it's done with intention, but you have to, like you said, create the brand character, not just assume that who you are is going to translate into the business. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Number three in the trenches. How involved should the consumer customer client base be in the naming process, Anne? Yes. Yeah, so this is where we say that it really needs to be inspired by your consumer because we said it needs to be locked with what your consumer is expecting and, and, and what your consumer is going to want from a brand like you. But if you go and you ask your consumer what it should be, you're going to be sorely disappointed <laughs> because they're not going to be able to articulate it for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that is the one thing that you need to really watch when you go and you start sensing names with consumers and doing your consumer research. So instead of like asking them very direct questions about what name would you like for this business or brand, which we hear, we see a lot in discussion guys. And we're like, um, no, we cross that off. We say things like, here are five names. What name can you, can you recall from Mm -hmm. these five names when you ask them like five minutes later, you know, or what name do you think really signifies this kind of image that we Mm -hmm. want to produce? Or what name are you the most emotionally connected with? Like, it goes back to that criteria that April mentioned earlier, and you build your questions around that to see if your consumer can tie what they want from the brand to the name that you're proposing for the brand. Mm -hmm. And that's the way you kind of have to triangulate it. You can't ask directly or you're not going to get the right answer because... What's going to happen is it's going to become a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that name because I like the way it sounds. Or I don't like that name because I don't like the way it sounds. And maybe that the total fine name, it 
if it delivers on the criteria, but people are reacting emotionally to it, which is part of the criteria, but it's not the only piece of the criteria, mm-hmm. right? So ultimately, you need to make the final call. So you need to be able to process and synthesize all that feedback you get and make sure it aligns with the other parts of the business that make sense. Again, everything that you had said, April, with regards to what's already in the industry, how unique is it? Um, is this going to be able to be scaled eventually? Is this going to stand as be a standalone product or is it going to be a family of products underneath that? And do I need to think about that? So there's lots of things that you need to think about in the context of naming, both in the short term and the long term. That's outside of what the consumer is going to provide you insight on. But you should get insight from your consumer for sure. Mm -hmm. You just need to be able to um, manage it appropriately so that the data is used appropriately in the decision-making process. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, too often the consumer word was taken as like Bible, right? Right. (laughs) It was like, okay, they said they liked this one, to your point, Anne, but then the reason why they said they liked it had nothing to do with the brand or the business or whatever you were trying to communicate. So it's really about listening to what they're saying and then hearing it for what it is. And you have to do the analysis to see if it really ties back to the intention or not, because this is where you as the founder or you know the person responsible for this business or whatever, you have to be the one to gut check that side of it because the consumer's not involved there. Right. Exactly right. All right. Number four in the trenches. In your mind, what makes a successful name? And I think we can both tackle this one. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I will say I love love when a name becomes a verb or synonymous with a category. Mm. And I also love digging into why this may have happened and assessing why it didn't happen to others in the category. And so one that is, you know, very historic and iconic is Kleenex. Right? Oh, jeez. You say, I need a Kleenex. Sure, I mean, and nice. I know Anne's going to cry because Puffs is P&G. So. But the fact that that, you know, Kleenex over Puffs became synonymous with the categories. So now you say, I need a Kleenex just as often as you say, I need a tissue. And so that's one. Now, more recently, when it comes to the verb side of things, you have Uber. People say, I'm going to Uber there. No one says, I'm going to Lyft there. And so obviously Uber was the first mover and I'm sure that has some something to do with it. But when you he- when you think of that name, it just fits that much more into the verb like quality than the word lift. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another one, Roomba. So I talked about this before in the episode, um, but people name their Roombas, which I did not know, um, but we did it naturally when we got ours. So we named ours Jeffrey because he was the butler on the Prince of Bel-Hair. Oh, yep. And I've I did some reading. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but... Um, a lot of people name theirs Rosie because, which was a better name, because Rosie was a robot and the Roomba's a robot and cleans the sense. house. Yep. So anyway, that's one where it kind of takes on a life of its own. And I have to think that over time, that has the potential to overtake the word vacuum potentially, right? Like Roomba for the category instead. So anyway, just some you know thoughts overall there. I think... Um, there's obviously a lot of stuff that goes into when these things happen, and it's not just necessarily the name doing all of the heavy lifting, but I 
personally love naming and I would personally love to be able to name something that becomes as iconic as these examples. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point because, I mean, it was the vein of our existence to try to figure out why people were saying Kleenex versus Puffs or at least like just tissue versus Kleenex. (laughs) I mean, and once it's ingrained, it's really hard to undo. But there is something just very colloquial and very clean and very clear about how these words start kind of appearing in the vernacular, Mm -hmm. making it very easy to say in a sentence. Like, I want a puffs for some reason just does not feel as smooth and easy as I want a Kleenex. Like, Mm -hmm. clean, like the clean clean Kleenex part, it just makes sense. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're trying to think about that, think about how people are going to use it in a sentence. And it helps you to understand how easy is it going to be to articulate, to recommend, to use, and, and, you know, and and just kind of the the jargon of our everyday conversations, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I'm sure there's a linguistic analysis that could help us with all this, but yeah, it's, it's not extremely us. fascinating, yeah. you know. Um, but I, I, so I agree with everything you said, and I'll, I'll build on that, and I'm gonna make it a very stretch, um, oh, no. one. Yeah, so you know, <laughs> but you know how I like to operate. Um, and that's if the name transcends the product to become part of pop culture, and now it takes what you said just kind of a little bit to the next level. So. You know, Tide, I'll just start with Tide, like a basic one. That has become... Of course, she'll start with Tide. Of course. Well, I mean, (laughs) it's part of pop culture. Now, ironically, when people ask, well, you know, where did the the name Tide come from? It's more of a, like a kind of a mythical story than it is a real story Mm. because it's not documented, but it's believed it's because... um, the, uh, the the person who created Tide was standing on the beach and saw the tide come in and saw like the um, the foam and the the mm. bubbles created by the water and it kind of connected in its head but that was um, that was you know Byerly but that was like more you know myth mm-hmm. than you know nobody knew if that, that was that was really it. true yeah. but like that's the story we use there but it also has become very iconic so people love the title of hope t-shirts that have the, the iconic like mm-hmm. tie logo to the fact that when we mm-hmm. actually They're retro now it's very yeah. retro but when to the point when we actually redid them and it didn't look so retro people didn't like those mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. right so there's definitely something like that transcends just the fact that that's a laundry detergent to something that's a little bit more emotional mm-hmm. a little bit more connected in culture um also like no matter where you go in in alabama and all the bars you'll see the roll tide you'll see toilet paper and you'll see the tide bottle like i mean it's just it's just there right yeah. and so that helps you know to kind of connect in people's minds um something that's outside of the actual basic product benefit and now when i was talking before too about how you can take names and transcend names to a brand character like harley davidson mm-hmm. right is a is a really big one harley is a bike, yes, but it is an attitude. Yep. It is a lifestyle. Is how people like connect to community. Mm-hmm. Like even if you don't have a bike, mm-hmm. I mean. So that was like a name, but it was able to transcend the basic product that it was actually named for. Same thing with Hurley. So Hurley was the founder of a brand that became like the quintessential brand for um, surfers. Today, it is still has that spirit of kind of being like. This um th- this this free spirited kind of brand, this legacy brand, even though he never long he does longer owns the brand, like mm-hmm. it's been sold. Yep. So I mean, but it was his name, and the way that he even like used his name in um the logo mm-hmm. really was intentional in order to bring that brand character out mm-hmm. without it having to be tied to exactly who he is. Yep. 
right? So a, a lot of connections to who he is, but was able to live outside of just him. So Brand continues to live on and does really well, despite the fact that he doesn't even know it anymore. Yeah, and I want to go back real quick to the Harley Davidson example because that is one that I feel like being part of the brand and agency community, right? You're like, oh, if I got to come up with that one, right? Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing that we didn't touch on today, but is when the name has a power to call something into your mind where you see a picture of whatever mm-hmm. associated with that brand, and then you can as the consumer, you automatically opt in or out. Like, that is me, that is not me. Right. And so I think Harley-Davidson is one of those where it's a polarizing brand and I am not part of the Harley-Davidson culture, but I have total respect for the the community that surrounds it, what it represents. I mean, when you see a group of 30 riders on the highway together, like the sense of community, I mean, it is a brand that, definitely knows who it belongs to and there is a respect from people that are part of it and people that are not and it's very differentiated from the rest of the market oh absolutely right yes. and it was intentionally created to be that way yes yeah all good points okay so our third and final segment is now marketing smarts moments and as a reminder this may or may not tie to what we're talking about today and in this case it doesn't (laughs) at all (laughs) and unfortunately it is a fail example so wah wah yeah um but my example you know we try to put our personal experiences in here against brand and marketing so papa john's all right so we order pizza once a week for the kids when we have ainsley or another babysitter come over to watch the kids and it's like clockwork right the kids order the same thing so i go on my Uh, on my account online and went to order the usual and hit place. And after I did that, it said it was going to be 121 to 129 minute wait. (laughs) Pieces a chunk out of 15 minutes each. Well, exactly. Not to mention that the Papa John's is literally two blocks over from where we live downtown. So I... Automatically, I'm like, there's a glitch in the system. There's just no way, right? But I don't want to have to worry about it the whole time we're out. So Bryce and I are leaving and I call the number and of course it's automated. So I had to keep, you know, Mm -hmm. speak to a representative, speak to a person, whatever. So finally, I got someone to answer the phone and I asked to speak to the manager. And I was like, hey, I just want to let you know, I think something's wrong with your system. You know, it's Wednesday. There's nothing going on downtown. You're two blocks away. And I just went to order pizza. And it said 121 to 129 minutes. And I just want to confirm that that's not the case. And he was like, oh, yeah, we reset the system to that. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And he was like, oh, we got a little backed up. So we thought that if we raised the wait time considerably, people would just opt out and wouldn't order pizza and we could get caught up. I wow. just about died. Like, as a as a you know a business owner, a marketer, I was like, I, I cannot believe this, right? So, I was like, um, okay, that's one approach. But also, are you aware that the time that the order is going to come in doesn't pop up until you place your order? So therefore, that doesn't really work because the person's already put it, put it in. in. And so now they have to go and cancel, cancel it. it. Yeah. And he was like, oh, man. Okay. And I was like, so back to my question, realistically, when am I going to get my pizza? And he's like, 
oh, well, we're catching up, so it'll probably be about 40 minutes. The pizza was there in 35 minutes like normal after this whole entire situation. And so, number one, I'm sure that franchise owner would be really happy to hear that. (laughs) But number two, I mean, it was just such a ridiculous response to the situation and the fact that 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 was the answer, the decision to be made. I'm like, it just completely blew my mind because, you know, we talk all the time about exceeding expectations. And I'm like, this is just the wrong approach to that, to tell someone it's going to be two hours and show up quicker than that. So anyway, total fail. I, I still I'm still blown away that that was the response and that that was the decision made. So there you go. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty sure that franchise owner hasn't developed his philosophy for success. No. <laughs> no. I'm pretty sure that that would be like a no, no in the context of um, customer service. So, um, yeah, that would. Uh, I, yeah. And I, I kind of feel a little bit like that, too. Like sometimes um, the Starbucks and in Madeira will turn off their order ahead mm-hmm. mobile yep. when they feel like they're getting too overloaded. And yeah. they did that the other day. And I was like, oh, for the love. I'm like, that means I have to, you know, come in and I have to order and yep. I have to wait. And, you know, and when people are kind of become accustomed to mm-hmm. that's the way they do things, they schedule their time, their day, you know, all around those things, mm-hmm. knowing that I can order it and then it's going to be ready by the time I get there versus I have to order and I have to wait 10 minutes for it. I mean, that 10 minutes makes a big difference. Yep. But I get what they were trying to do in order to manage it, but it's it's thinking about also the the bigger picture of how that then impacts the, the way that your consumer feels about you and how you fit into their daily life. So I yep. think that's a really good example and reminder of that. Well, and then not to mention, he's like, you aren't the first one that called. So I'm like, well, how yeah, much duh. time have you been <laughs> wasting On fielding calls <laughs> because of your dumb decision? Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Just to recap, four common mistakes people make when naming your business, brand, or product. Number one, don't let personal bias get in the way. Take it through the lens of what your consumer or customer or client expect from you and think about the name through that lens. Number two, don't get too cute or creative. Don't overthink. Really think about how to make a more natural connection with your customer or consumer so that they intuitively understand the name. Number three, don't forget the internet. Your name must be easily searchable. Yes, unfortunately, that is the world we are in today. People are going to check you out online to see if you are legit. And finally, number four, don't make naming overly complicated, especially when it comes to spellability. You want people to be able to recall your name and spell it correctly. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.